Welcome to New Hope Fellowship Online. I am Elder Tony Acampa, and I'm excited that you are tuning into this message. I pray that it helps you grow in your walk with Christ and encourages you to dive deeper into God's Word. For more information on who we are as a church, I'd like to encourage you to visit nhfchurch.org. If you are interested in partnering with us financially so we can continue to share the gospel message with those around us, visit nhfchurch.org and click on Give. Again, thank you for being here and for listening. I hope you enjoy this message. So I found out something new this week. Pastor Greg does the over-under with me on my sermons. There's a clock in the back if you ever want to know, and it goes red when I hit 30 minutes. So him and the sound guy, they'll do the over-under. So if you ever want to know, go to Greg. He'll take bets. Uh, the over 30, under, where are we going to land this week? My intent is to be under the 30, so you can hold me to that if you would so desire right on that green clock. But it's just, it's, and that's the fun part of being in church and ministry, honestly, is you get to see good things. And when you have jokes like that, that's actually a sign of health to me because it's, we're joking, we're having fun. And it's not like, Nick takes forever. Some of you may think that, but I could go a lot longer if I needed to. No, we won't go there. But generosity, this, this sermon title is really generosity changes you from the inside out. I've been leaning into this primarily because it does. If I didn't believe it, I wouldn't preach on it. If the Bible didn't say it was good, it wouldn't be listed over 2,000 times, this concept of money and finances. And generosity encompasses that, but it also encompasses a wide swath of not just our finances, but our time, our talent, our power, our prestige. It's willing to use these things that are ours for the benefit of others. And so God entrusts us with things for a time so we can learn really to give them back and steward them. And so he entrusts you with things, and sometimes we've been dealt a lot, sometimes a little, and God says, can I trust you with this? And as you're trusted with it, it grows, and sometimes it's a season, sometimes it dwindles, and will you be faithful? Sometimes that's a spouse. Will you be faithful? Will you entrust to your care? It's kids you're entrusted to your care. It's where you lead. All of these aspects are generosity. And in 1 Timothy 6, we find this, that it's a letter written. It's one of the epistles, they call them, that the apostle Paul writes. And it's a letter to a young pastor. So I'm 36. I would qualify as a young pastor in the day and age we live in. And so as I read Timothy, it's a mentor, Paul, who's writing to his mentee, Tim. And Paul mentored a lot of men over the years. Titus and Timothy are one of the two, are well-known. There's many others. But Timothy's in charge of a church. He's young, and Paul is encouraging him, and he's writing to his mentee to say, let me challenge you but encourage you to strive for some things. And so he teaches all through 1 Timothy, which we'll be in in the new year. We'll be going back into 1 Timothy and picking it apart. But in 6, it's the conclusion. He's wrapping up the letter. And when you were, typically when you read 1 Timothy, you can go home and read the whole thing in one sitting. That's what it was designed for. It's a letter, not meant to be necessarily read, pause, read, but to read through. And so Paul is kind of concluding. He's sending out his final goodbye to, his, to Tim as he closes this letter. But he's kind of trying to, like a good pastor in the last prayer, re-preach everything he just said in two minutes. And that's what Paul is trying to do with Tim. He's trying to get these last... I've said some things. I've encouraged you. Now, let me just try to focus you, Tim, as I close out the letter. And he says in verse, at the end of verse 2, teach and urge these things. In verse 3, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, meaning truth, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up and conceited and he understands nothing. 
He has an unhealthy craving for the controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved, excuse me, I'm losing my place, who are depraved in mind, craving for controversy and quarrels, evil suspicions, constant friction, who are depraved in mind, deprived of the truth, imagine that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. It's that first point. In, in verses 1 through 5, he's really saying, you read parts of this, the gospel isn't a product that fixes your problems. It's not a product that you can just take and, and do. It's a life. It changes you, but it's not just, just do X, Y, and Z, and everything's magical and perfect. No. He wants you to teach and urge these things that he's spoken about, what is truth, and if it's contrary to what Christ lived out and modeled in the gospels, then get rid of it. Because you had all types of issues all through the early church of how does the Old Testament fit in and what stays, what all of these questions that abounded. And, and Paul is going in to clarify to Tim, here's what's truth, here's what you need to focus in, and, and there's dissension. Jesus knew this, we're people, we're sinners. And so what did Jesus pray before he left was for the unity. He could have prayed for a lot of things. They prayed for the unity of the church. And Paul is saying, here's how you continue to be unified He's saying, if they teach different doctrine that is contrary, then, Tim, get rid of it. Godliness and contentment, though, he gives two ingredients at the end, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self that's pursuing the godliness with contentment. There are two ingredients you need to pursue after the godliness. You need to pursue what God has called us to and that means we gain then contentment. It's the, there's a phrase I like to use. I choose to admire without the need to acquire. I can admire things. I can admire cars. I can admire um, different houses or admire different jobs and say, it's good without the need to say, I have to have it. Am I content with where God has me? And am I content with the season of life I find? My, and it's a wrestling point for the record, and you can wrestle with this. Am I truly content, or am I striving for the next thing, the next thing, the next thing? And when you strive for things that aren't godliness or that aren't focused, you end up with one, what one pastor says is destination sickness. You arrive at the end of striving for something only to achieve it and say, this, this is it. And what Paul is saying, no, 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 godliness with contentment is great gain. And he goes on to explain in verse 7, For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. Again, prior to this, he's saying these teachers who come in, they're puffed up, they, they cause division, they cause because they like their power, they like authority. Again, generosity, the theme is it's not just money. We're generous with the power with our authority that we're gifted with as we grow in our job, sometimes we earn upper management. So we have authority over others. How are we using that authority? It's the same thing with your kids. You have authority over your kids. How are you using that? Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy, but in humility, look not only to the interests of others, taking the mindset of Christ. And so Paul is encouraging that godliness with contentment is great gain. Why? For we brought nothing and we take nothing. This world is temporary. It's what matters most. And so it's contentment with where we find ourselves today. Doesn't mean you have to like where you're at today and says, okay, how do you, if you don't, aren't content here, what's the path going forward? And, and as you're shooting for going forward, where are you aiming for? 
Where are you going towards? Is it going towards godliness or is it not? You're not going to be able to take anything of this world with you except you'll take people to heaven. You don't take your clothes. You don't take your money. You don't take any of that. You go to heaven if you know Christ. He says, but if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. The worries and things of this world, we want to focus in on. Verse, in verse 9, if we jump down to verse 9, but those who desire to be rich, he says, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. If you want to highlight, circle this, but those who desire... That's where he's focusing his attention. It's not rich. And if we look at the world, us in America, we are rich. We are rich beyond comprehension in comparison to most people, most cultures. Our standard of living is very high. We are wealthy beyond what most people ever can imagine. And he's saying it's not the fact of being rich is the issue. It's the desire to be rich. It's that desire that when we want it, we then... All types of snares, we plunge people into ruin and destruction because it's the next thing. I've got to have this, got to have this, got to have this, 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 all these things. Hebrews speaks to this in chapter 13 and verse 5. It says, keep your life free from the love of money. It's the love of money. It's not money. It's the love of it. It's the desire for it. It's the, I have to have more of it. It's the love of money. Keep that, he's saying, you're free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. It's that concept that our true home, if we're Christians, is heaven. And I am content where God has me with what he has. And he's saying, will you trust me even now with maybe you have very little? Will you trust me and be a steward of this? Maybe you have a lot. He says, will you trust me with this and still steward this well? Will you not hold it so tightly, but have it with an open hand to share, to invest in what matters ultimately? It's all about our desires. It's not about our possessions. It's our desires for these things, not the possessions that cause the evil or the love or the snares. It's our desires for these things. And again, it's not wrong to have some desires to better improve, to do improve, to gain a better salary, to acquire certain... It's not wrong. But when it becomes your sole focus that you have to have it, and you're not able to then do other things for the kingdom, or you're, you're so entrapped... Credit cards are the great fad. It was something I learned in high school of interest rates. Best class I ever took in high school was a six-week... It was one I picked. It was an elective, personal finance. What are credit cards? And you can get these in, in college. You can get them. In, I could get them at 17 where I was at. But you don't realize the interest rate, and you can have your things now, but then you're a slave to it. And it's this debt because I want it, and everybody else has it, and therefore I need it. No, I don't. And it's realized when you see that, and what is of utmost importance in Matthew 6.33, Jesus speaks that, seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be added, meaning your food, your shelter, your job, all these things. Seek him first. Keep him the priority, and then the rest will be added. In Philippians, it, it speaks to this as well. And we, the reality is what he says here. We can't take it with us, but we can send it ahead. And you can think, well, how does, how does that work, Nick? And you, you read and continue on. In verse, um, where we at? verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. 
It's that fruits of the spirit that he's hitting at the end. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. But you, and he's talking to Tim, he's talking to the church, and he would even be speaking to us today, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. How are you doing with that? What does that look like for you right now? Faithfulness isn't glamorous. It's consistency. It's continuing to do the right thing. It's continuing to keep the focus, even in the mundane monotony of everyday life, to say, I choose to be generous. I choose to be a little longer with this person because it's worth the time. Where I would normally cut them short, let me give them a little more time and be generous. Where I would normally tip a few less dollars, let me tip a few more dollars at the restaurant. It's being generous and always and focusing on these things. To fight the good fight, verse 12, take hold of eternal life to which you and I were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you, he's talking to Tim, in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ, who was in the testimony before Pilate made a good confession to keep the commandments unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says... If you pursue the love of money, Tim, it's going to wreck you. Again, it's not bad to have the wealth. It's what are you pursuing? How do you guard it and guide it? What for you, Tim, is you, a man of God, flee these things, pursue the righteous godliness, contentment. It's not about our desires, as I said. It's our possessions. We can't take it with us, but we can send it ahead. We can invest for the future and see that and say, well, in heaven, what's the ripple? When I get to heaven, who's coming because of my influence because I was generous with my time, generous with my money, generous with my power, generous with my prestige, generous with my preferences. It's that concept of generosity that he is hitting here. And he goes down to verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, which is you and I, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches because it does cover, makes things a lot easier. Money does solve a litany of problems. And he's saying, look, 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 if you are rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on that uncertainty, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. How do you get contentment? You start doing when you focus on Christ. Contentment is being okay to say, it's not about me. How do I serve others? How do I give of myself? And not to the point where it's like you're doing everything. It's balancing that. It's pacing yourself with that. Godliness is pursuing with the right things, making it to church. Just you showing up to church is a big deal. You're invested in your walk with Christ. And you may not get everything out of the sermon. You don't remember everything I say, but you're putting yourself in a position to hear God's word proclaimed. You're putting yourself in a position to sing songs that are to God and about God that you will hopefully carry with you through the week and be able to sing at times. You're there to fellowship to sometimes as you walk in these doors, you might be going through things and then you don't, people see you and they ask questions. And there's that fellowship, there's the connectivity, there's accountability that happens on a Sunday morning. That doesn't happen to the rest of the week. And you can't do it all on Sunday. That's why there's groups where you can't do all the one another's, but it's that point where you're placing yourself in a position to be generous, 
You're placing yourself in a position to hear God's word, to be motivated, to be stirred by God's word and invest in what matters most. So how do you rob God from blessing you? I'm glad you asked the question. It's a great question. How do you rob God? Ever think about that? It's, so we've, and it's a phrase that we're going to go here. Some of you around scripture, you've probably heard this way too many times. And I've heard it and I've seen it. I've read it this week. And it was just a little different in my perspective. As I read through it, I understood a little better. I'm always learning. And you really can't rob God because Psalm 24 1 says God owns everything. He is the maker of the universe. So everything already is his. But there's this point where God says, if he is our father, and if you're a parent, and maybe you didn't have the greatest father or the greatest mom, but maybe I probably had an uncle or an aunt or a grandparent who would love to bless you, who would love to spoil you. My parents do that with my kids. They bring a three-pound pack of M&Ms every time they come. And I'm the one that eats half of it. But it's like, you know, beside the point, you're spoiling, you're, you're giving gifts. And it talks about God as our Abba, as our Father. And if our, if our earthly fathers, our earthly parents, our earthly grandparents know how to give good gifts, does not our heavenly Father know how to give us the best gifts for what we need? And what he speaks to in Malachi, it's Old Testament. And he's referring, and Malachi is one of the prophets, one of the minor prophets they speak to. And he's got an issue with Israel. There's a whole bunch of history that we go into. We don't have time. But God speaks to why is he punishing? Why is, he, why is there issues in the land? And in, in chapter 3, he speaks that the subheading is robbing God. And it says in verse 8, will, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You were cursed with a curse, for you were robbing me, the whole nation of you. It's already God's. And what you saw in Deuteronomy, you see it in Genesis. Last week we looked at this, that Abraham gave the first tithe to the first high priest, Melchizedek, in the book of Genesis. He took 10%. And God... That was the first mention of a tithe. In Deuteronomy, there's all types of law codes for the, the nation of Israel to tithe their income. And when they tithe their income, it went into what we know as the church, but it was the priesthood. It was to the tribe of Levites. And the Levites had no home. So when you broke down the nation of Israel, there's 12 tribes. Levi is one. There was only 11 areas because the tribe of Levi was sanct- they were set apart to be kind of as me a pastor in that sense of the word they were the priesthood for the nation they didn't have a home and so the tithe went to support the the synagogue you would say that was new testament as a synagogue but you had the temple in Jerusalem and you had other points across Israel that the levites would serve in and the tithe went there to feed them and then in Jerusalem, the, at the temple, it was there to maintenance. It was for the sacrifices. It was to feed, yes, the, the priest. And then what was also part of the tithe was for the foreigner, the illegal alien that lived among Israel. The tithe went in to help them. It also went in to help the widow and the orphan. The tithe wasn't just to give the money to the church and not wash your hands. No, it was intended to, one, feed the priest as they had no land. Their, their job was this, shepherding, caring for the people, teaching the law. And then you, they would take care of then the orphan and the widow and the illegal that was found in their borders. There was all types of reasons for it to care for those that needed to demonstrate to the world when the world would say, you shouldn't do that. Israel lived different. And God said, watch if I don't bless you in such ways that the world goes, you're nuts for doing it that way. But my goodness, I can't argue with the results of the harvest that you have and the richness that you have, not just in finances, but in the communities and the people. 
And he goes further with it. You're cursed with a curse for you're robbing me with the whole nation and you bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, he says. And it's the one area, if you've been in church, they probably use this more than once on you. If I heard this, it's the, it is the one area that God says, test me. You're not supposed to, it says, don't put the Lord God to the test. And God says, test me in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. And what God is saying, look, bring it in as you were called to. We're going to get to the why they have it in just a moment. He says, bring this in and watch if I don't open the floodgates of heaven. What does he want to do? If you bring it in, I will rebuke the devourer for you. God is saying, look, if you bring this in, I want to bless you. But first you need to trust me. First you need to actually do this, and then I can bless you. It's not that God couldn't. It's that he's waiting to see, will you? There's a trust here. Will you trust me, Israel? Will you trust that I have your best in mind, Israel? Will you trust that I'll provide for your every need? And all the nations will call you blessed because you do this. In verse 13, it goes further. It says, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. Meaning Israel, the people, them throwing this back in God's face. Again, if you're a father, you're a mother, I've done it to my own dad. You, you might have said something that you regret to your parents. Or your kids might have said something to you that just stings and it just hurts and it ratches your heart out. And it wasn't what you ever intended. You didn't even do it. They just felt a certain way and claimed it and yelled it and shoved it back at you. And God is saying that your words have been harsh against me. But Israel, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? He's, they're basically saying, why should we do what you said? If you, read the, if you read Psalm 73 later this week, it's an excellent psalm. It's one of my favorites because he speaks to the fact that he almost stumbles, he almost falls away from his faith. Why? Because he looked around and everyone who's doing evil, everyone who's getting ahead, who's doing not following God's rules, seemed like they have everything handed to them. It seems like they've got this perfect life, the perfect family, the, all this wealth, all these things. And here is Psalm 73. The guy is, is crying out saying, I see them with all these stuff and all these things. And I'm over here sacrificing. I'm giving of my tithe. I'm fasting. I'm praying. And it is worthless. I'm not seeing any fruit. I'm just mundane. Whoa, whoa, whoa is me. And he goes on, and he compares them, and he contrasts them, and they and them. And he goes, until, until I entered the temple. And then I reoriented myself and realized, though in the world's eyes it seems like they have it all together, in reality they're on such a slippery slope, and they have no true contentment. And we see this in our day and age with social media. You have like these perfect shots of families and people you got everything on a stained glass masquerade that at some point it's going to fall. You have no idea the turmoil behind. And what Israel is saying here is we see the world and they have all this wealth and they have all these things. And yet we're sacrificing, we're doing everything, and we are not receiving what we are supposed to have. So we're going to withhold God because you're just, this isn't worth it. It's not worth my time. 
Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. And it's contentment in Malachi is God is saying, trust me, faithfulness isn't glamorous. Be faithful, Israel, and watch if I don't. You're looking around and you're comparing me to them, and it's like, stop comparing you to them. Start naming the them. Everyone comes up and says, well, there's those people. Well, who are those people? And when you start to say those people, you realize it's only one or two. And then you realize what he's saying here is don't focus on the they's and the them's in Psalm 73. Focus on you. What God has said, bring it in and watch if I don't. I want to bless you. I want to reward you. I want to show you that you can have godliness and contentment when you're generous, when you just start to follow after. Trust and obey. It's an old nursery. I'm trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And it's not obedience out of this legalistic, rules-based now I trust God and I'm going to follow him. It doesn't make sense. The math is I tithe. Boy, I can't tithe. I don't have this. And it's like, well, would you tr try it? Test him. He says it right here. Test him. Because God does want to bless you. God does want to grow you. Galatians speaks to this of you reap what you sow. It's a time thing. That over time you reap a harvest of righteousness. You reap a harvest of fruit. It's just not the next day. It's just not the next week all the time. In our Western culture, we want it now. I gave this, I should have this. I gave, it's like, no, no, it's a faithfulness. It's a consistency over the long haul. It's a long-term saying, my professor always said this in college, he goes, my students can like me now in college, or they can like me 30 years from now. And those were my favorite teachers because they make me work my tail off and Dr. Blumenstock, I still remember all of his lessons from personal evangelism and spiritual formation. In fact, he wasn't able to teach any courses the last year. I was a little rebel. They kind of had him on suspension for some reason. I don't, you can ask me after. I know why. But anyway, <laughs> he poked the bear. But I, I said, well, I like Dr. B. He makes me work. And so I said, Dr. B, you want to teach a group of students? He said, yes. I said, deal. I rallied 15 students, and we had class on Friday at 6 o'clock. Because there was just something about, would you like it now and make it easy and just have it? Or you can learn to grow into it. You can learn to see it. You can learn to grow in that contentment and the generosity. And it doesn't mean you start all at once. It start with one thing. Maybe for you that is in finance. And maybe for you that is in serving. Maybe for you that is in joining a group. But it's learning to be generous in all things. And God says, because it does something for you. We have this last slide, and I've got 12 things. I'm not going to preach all 12. But there's 12 things that generosity does for you. And these are just a short list. There's a lot more things. Generosity honors God. 2 Corinthians 9, 13 speaks to this. It draws me closer to God. I read that in Proverbs 14, 23, Matthew 6, 21. As you're giving, as you're giving out, it's actually better blessed to give than to receive. It's almost like to learn to receive, but it's giving this to God. It makes you more like Jesus. In, second, in Proverbs 20, 21, verse 26, and Luke eleven forty one, it demonstrates my faith. Do I trust God in this concept? Philemon 1, 6, Malachi 3, 10, it demonstrates God. I don't know where the money's going to come from, but okay, here it is. And I've seen it enough to know that I've seen God work in my life that as I start to give, there's always enough money to pay the bills. There's enough to provide for my needs. Maybe not my wants, but all my needs. And over time, there's more. And it's like, how do we give more away? How do we serve more? It reveals my character. Luke 16, 11, if God entrusts you with some, will he entrust you with more of what matters most? 
It brings God's blessing. You read that in 2 Corinthians 9, Deuteronomy 15, Proverbs 22. It increases my happiness, a little maturity there, to give it away, to be generous. When you see that you've been able to help someone or serve someone, it's like, a, this was good, this was fun. It's always, for the record, easier to spend other people's money. But in the same instance, it increases your happiness, your maturity. It expands your influence from what you give away in life, Proverbs 11, 24, and Psalm 112, or 9. It expands your influence. When you're generous and people see that and there's no strings attached, it's just you being, hey, here you go, here, here it is. It grows you and it brings influence to people to say, I like you, not just because you pay for my burgers and fries, but there's something else about you. Because generosity is not just that number. And if it's just a number, then you might have another agenda or something. It's like, no, generosity is just buying your burger and fries and I just want to get to know you. And when I'm around you, I just want to be with you and I want to encourage you. It's the cure for materialism. You want to grow that if you wrestle with materialism, having to have things, start giving your stuff away. And watch if God doesn't start actually giving you more and you give away more and it's more. And it's like, how does this math work? It doesn't. It's mind-boggling. The more you give away, the more God says, okay, I can trust you with this. Let me entrust you with more. Okay, here's a little more. And it might be seasons that ebb and flow. It brings God's protection, Psalm 112, 5 through 6. It multiplies your money. As I've said, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to math. I'm no math major, but I can do simple math, and the math doesn't add up. The more you give, the more I see in the bank account, the more I start to give. And you give this, you give here, and it's just like, well, why is there more? And it's not being unwise with it or just throwing money at things. No, it's being wise and stewarding. It's what we do with our missions partners. We, we interview them, we prep them, we see, is this a wise investment and there's always more. It'll be rewarded in heaven. It's about getting people to heaven. We can't take this stuff with us, but we can take people with us. And eternity is filled with other people. And our desire is at New Hope, it's not about the money, it's about the people. How do we equip this facility to empower people? How do we equip each other to go out into the world to the mission that God has called us? Because just like he's called me here as your pastor, he has called you to your marriages, to your families, to your communities, to each area. How do we then use this campus to equip you to go to use your gifts it's not all about the pastor. It's not about the staff. It's how do we equip and empower others to do it. And as I mentioned, we've been on this generosity initiative, and it's going to start really next week officially from October through May. What's, what's the goal? If you've been online, you've seen me in the same shirt, no less, uh, sharing about this. Of what's our goal? What, what are we shooting for? Because we want to set a goal. It's, again, I keep saying generosity is not a number. It's not just a number. Are we setting a goal? Yes. And the goal is 250000 is what we're looking to raise. And that goes in four areas. One is missions. To really just give away some. As I said, to give away money, we want to be known as a generous church. So some of that goes into, you say, who's our mission partners and who are other missions work both locally and globally who we can just give money to that will fan the flame for eternity's sake. It's going to go into debt relief. We have a debt on this building. We're about a little over 800000 There's more than that, but 800000 We're in debt. And that's part of... There's good debt and there's bad debt. We don't have time for that. But we went into debt as we got into this facility, as we upkeep. And so we're going to be wise stewards to get around from under that. And we're doing that. We're making extra payments. We're on a system with that. And we want to give, fan that into flame and give a good chunk towards debt relief. We also want to, again, equip our facility. We had some storm damage from the roof. This roof needs replaced. There's some stuff in the parking lot. There's squirrels in the student center. They're gone. <laughs> 
those trees went down and I won. <laughs> but we got some damage, we got to replace to maximize the facility space so that we can continue to equip and empower people. There's some of that we want to do. And I want to do, I always think, what's, as we go down the road, I think ahead and I always have ideas, probably too many. We've grown into a family pastor. We're doing that search that has started. Chemistry's on it. And as we wait for them to come back to us, as we prep the, the plan for that whole interview process, that's as a church we've grown into. That's awesome. What about tomorrow? Kind of like this facility. When we came in here, we kind of were, we're, we're, max, we're maximizing it now. And it's, again, what's, what's tomorrow? How do we continue to allow growth to happen? And I think, how do we get out of these four walls? How do we get into Tawnytown and Westminster? How do we get out and empower? And so I think we need to add another discipleship and outreach pastor to motivate us, to enable us and empower us. The family pastor's coming regardless. This guy's optional, in a sense, to say, hey, can we mobilize us? The church is not four walls. It is, is you. It's not me. It is you. We all have discipleship that we're called to do. We're all called to make disciples. And so we want to motivate and equip us with that. And one of those ways as you ratchet up is you bring on staff to not just for the staff to do the work, but for the staff to mobilize and empower to greater degrees the people. Get around me enough, you'll notice I'm all about people. People matter. People are important. And so this generosity initiative is designed with that. Those four areas to focus on missions, debt relief, staffing, and equipment and power this facility so that we can launch well. So that we can, in this next season of ministry, will it take away all our debt with this? No, but it's going to take a chunk. It's going to move us in the right direction. Will it fix all of our holes in this facility? No, this is from 1860s. There's a lot of holes. Will it fix all of our equipping? No, but it will move us forward. It will empower us and lay that foundation for the long haul. It's going to allow us then to be prepared to start releasing funds into ministry. Releasing funds into people. Because ministry at its name, ministry just means service. And we want to be all about serving others and being generous with our time, with our talents. So what does that mean for you as I've talked? We're not taking an offering, don't worry. There's black boxes in the back that if you really want to. I did have Baptist roots in my background. <laughs> but you see up front these two graphics right here, these two trees. And they said it was very funny because I chopped down trees and I made the graphic a tree. I said, do you see where we live? Do you see where the church is? There's squirrels everywhere. And so if we, my goal is if we go above the 250,000 goal, we'll start putting squirrel stickers and acorns on these. <laughs> but I want you to join with me. As I said, my wife and I, we're all in. We're giving. The, the elder team is all in. They're giving. The church I was at in Grace is all in with us as well. They're going to be giving some monies to us around Christmas time. Their Christmas Eve offering will go towards this initiative as well. And so there's, uh, my wife and I, we're, we're going to continue to tithe as we are, but then go above and beyond that. And as an elder team, we've agreed to say, hey, we're all in. And because of your generosity, because we've been in a surplus mode, we're going to filter in some of those funds to start off. So we're not really even at zero per se. We're going to be more around the 20,000 mark starting. And because of your generous giving, one of my hopes was to repair the roof. And because of your gracious giving and our UNO we've completed, we're going to look to tackle that this year. And it's just when you see God at work and you see God moving and you see what generosity can do, my challenge to you is will you join with us? And so I'm not asking you to give me a number. I don't want that. I want you to say, will you jump and join in with New Hope? 
And so there's these cute little leaves that Carly made for us. And all it says on there is, I'm committed. And you just write your name. They're up front. There's two pub tables. You just write your name. And these stickers are kind of like the old communion things, if you remember those. So you need to just bend the thing back, and then it'll work to kind of pull the sticker apart. It may take you 10 seconds. If you're someone who likes lines, these will not fit directly on those lines. <laughs> we will fix them next week for those that are, have a hard time seeing that. But as we close out, I invite you to come up and just write your name and say you're committed. You want, and if you really think you need to put a number, put a number. If that helps you keep accountable to say, yeah, I want to put, put the number. But if you just want to join with us and be a part of what is happening here at New Hope, we're going to, I'm going to pray. The band's going to play. And your role is this. You come up, you sign your name, you move over, you stick it on there. And maybe you sign up for a group. Maybe you fill out the serve part in your weekly and you turn that in the black boxes. And next week it begins and it starts. And I'm already teed up with my own, with my wife and I giving what we're going to give because we're all in. And we want you to be all in with us. And so though we're tithing, yes, we're saying this is a step of faith for us. Sure it is. As a church, it's a step of faith. As a pastor, it's a step of faith. But if I didn't believe in it, if I didn't think it was important to speak to this, I wouldn't have spent four weeks talking about it. So let me pray and invite you up. And as you start to give over the course from May, it'll start, or sorry, it'll start in October next week and run through the end of May. And we'll keep a scoreboard. We'll keep you up to date what's happening, what's where. We have a little scorecard we'll send you if you sign up and you start to give towards this initiative. How do you give towards it? There's an envelope. It's online. It's all there where you would normally give. But let me pray and invite you to jump up and sign your name. Jesus, we thank you this morning to be able to sing songs to you and about you, to kind of close out this micro-series on generosity, to focus on what you have for us as a church to step out in faith and say, Lord, you can do immeasurably more than we could ever think or imagine. And so, Jesus, we're going to entrust that to you, that as we build a future here at New Hope, uh, a foundation to engage your people, Lord, we ask that each, everyone here, Lord, that as they've been praying over these few weeks, as they've thought about this, Lord, that you would stir them to, to love and good deeds, that they would step out in faith along with us. So we ask for your blessing this day, Jesus, and we ask it all in his name. Amen.